Dear founder, as you know, there's no blueprint for entrepreneurship. You wear so many hats, you burn the midnight oil, you pour your heart and soul into everything that you do. But without a doubt, the journey is worth every single second that you put into it. I'm Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Dear Founder podcast. I say this because I've lived it for over a decade. I started my first company with $500 in my pocket and a baby in my belly. I grew it and I sold it all. This podcast is my weekly letter to you. We'll talk all things starting, growing, nurturing, and in some cases, even selling a business. Together with some of my closest contacts, I'm here to help you find your own success, whatever that means to you. The ride as a founder is the ride of your life. So come on in and join me for another episode that will get you one step closer to reaching your own founder goals. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Founder. Before we get into today's conversation, I want to let you in on something I have going on. A lot of you have been DMing me and sending me messages asking me when I'm bringing my small business workshops back. Well, good news. On April 25th, I'm going to be kicking off a free masterclass, Social Media for a Small Business. If you're looking to up your social media game when it comes to your business, you're absolutely going to want to register and join me. You'll walk away with a comprehensive idea of what to post, where, when, and how to do it efficiently, plus so much more. Doing so will help you to focus your time on growing your bottom line, my number one goal. Click the link in the show notes for information and to sign up. Don't forget it's free and don't wait because the doors close soon. So I'm really excited for you to meet today's guest, Jenny Patinkin. I met Jenny years ago during an interview for my former company, and I fell in love with her story instantly as her desire to start something new later in life was incredibly inspiring. Jenny Patinkin is a highly sought after beauty expert, entrepreneur, makeup artist, and author known for her earth-friendly and age-aware approach to beauty. Nationally recognized for her broad industry knowledge and expertise, and as an early adapter of clean beauty, Jenny appears regularly on network TV and prominent digital media channels. She's also the best-selling author of Lazy Perfection, The Art of Looking Great Without Really Trying. So come on in and meet today's guest, my friend Jenny Patinkin. Obviously, we have a lot to talk about, but the first thing that I, I want to dive into is I want you to pretend that no one listening knows you and a lot of people who are listening don't, and I want you to kind of give us the nitty gritty on who you are, and I want you to share your story because your story about pivoting your career later in life is one that has always resonated with me. and really and truly like I have held on to and I think of often and I think it is so inspiring for women who want to make a change and they think oh it might be too late because it is never too late and you are so proof of that um that's so nice thank you um so my story is that I worked in marketing mostly doing event marketing Uh, for an incentive company, an incentive marketing company, but it was a job. It wasn't a career. And then I got married and I stayed home with my babies. And that was my career. I had three kids in less than four years, three little girls who are now very big girls. Who are Um, beautiful, by the way, and um, all amazing in their own right. So Thank you. They're interesting people. And that's what makes me the most proud. I mean, they are beautiful, but they're, they're like intellectually curious. That's what I mean. They are amazing. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're good girls. Thank you. Thanks. You can tell. 
Um, so I stayed home with them and I was doing a lot of volunteer work, including a full-time volunteer position at the Medical Research Foundation at Children's. And when it was over, I wanted to go back to work. And so I kind of fumbled my way into being a makeup artist. I was looking to start a business that was sending makeup artists out to people's homes because it's what I needed my whole year that I was doing this volunteer position. While I was vetting that concept, I met a makeup artist who recognized that like I understood makeup, I understood color, just kind of instinctively. So I did some training as a professional makeup artist. I got signed by a big international agency about three weeks after I finished my training. I jumped in, I started working. And at this point I was 40. So it was, you know, definitely a second act. Um, At 40, I was being sent out on jobs that 20 year old makeup artists would have been sent out on. Um, because I didn't have the professional experience. And um, I just got very hands-on very quickly and built up a professional book. I wound up doing editorial and ad campaign and commercial artistry, celebrity artistry, cover campaigns. I mean, really fun, fun stuff. And then I realized that I really preferred working with real people. And so I started a business called Dollface Beauty School, and it really started with me teaching people how to put on their own false eyelashes. It was just as the eyelash trend was really peaking, and I got a lot of press for it, and my name started getting out there, and then I wound up being an on-care, on camera beauty expert for a website called joyous.com, which doesn't exist anymore. And from there, I got a book deal to write my book, Lazy Perfection, because this website, you know, I had an audience of a half million people four times a week. And my audience wanted to hear more about my Lazy Perfection aesthetic. I got this book deal. I developed my line. I started doing speaking gigs and national TV appearances. And now here I am. That was so long-winded and boring. No, it was not long-winded and boring because it is like just such an amazing story. And I I always share with people when I, when, when people bring up like beauty and whatnot, I'm always like, do you follow Jenny Patinkin? And they're like, no, who's that? And I'll be like, you need to follow Jenny Patinkin because she's amazing. She's real. And she started this career like later in life, almost on accident. Like, It was almost by accident. I never intended to become a makeup artist ever. I never thought I would do that. When you made this transition, like how was that received by your kids, by your girls? My kids were great. It was my friends who were not great. My kids, you know, were very excited and proud to have, I mean, it's cool, right? To have a mom who plays with makeup and who gets to go spend her day with celebrities um, and who eventually gets to be on TV. Like and who gets to be on that, TV. Right? I mean, now my kids are incredibly supportive. Even when they were little, I mean, I think they understood that mommies can have a career. Um, even though my youngest was only six when I went back to work. Uh, and I'm not going to lie. Like, I got so consumed by that career early on that there were a couple of times I forgot to pick them up at school. And, like, you know, mommy things where I looked at the clock and I was like, oh my God, I'm late to get my kids. Um, But 
they were great. My husband was great, but my friends were the, were the challenge. In what way? People didn't at that time before Instagram and social media really hit its stride. People didn't think about being a makeup artist in the same way that I did, where it's not just a counter associate at a store. And people would say to me, why do you want to be a makeup artist? You can just hire a makeup artist. And they would say things like, oh, it's so cute that you've got this little career now that your kids are getting older. It's so good that you've got something to keep you occupied. And it was like a lot of people didn't understand why I wanted to do it. But you loved it. I did. I loved it. And it's not like I love makeup. We've talked about this. It's not I don't love makeup. I wouldn't call myself a makeup girl. I like the beauty industry and I like being able to convey in a really transparent, clear way to my audience that it doesn't need to be makeup with big quotation marks around it. You don't have to go whole hog. You can find a way to interpret it so that it fits in with your lifestyle and just makes you feel good. So many people, makeup stresses them out. Well, and this, I want to bring this up because our audience doesn't know our history. And I met Jenny um, while doing an interview for my old company. (laughs) And Jenny took me and a couple of my employees to Target. And we like went on a haul. And and Jenny showed us like all this, like, it wasn't makeup. I don't even think we even talked about makeup. It was just like a lot of product to like make us feel good as like tired moms. This was also like four or five years ago. And I was like in it with my kids. I mean, my little one was three, I think at the time. And I didn't have time for beauty. And it was what drew me to you was not the makeup to your point. It was the education and how you made me feel as a human, you know, not just like a mom, a woman, a working person, whatever, but as a human who just like needed to make myself feel better. You know, I mean, I think that's the whole point of makeup, but it gets very lost in all of the advertising and pop culture culture and media messaging that we get where so many people think that we should, or we're supposed to, or we need to do things in a certain way. We need to look like, you know, Kim Kardashian or Kylie Kardashian, Kylie Jenner. Um, boy, I just showed my age on that one. Um, <laughs> but you know, there's, there's this whole, um, constructed misconception about makeup and beauty. And that's where our own internal stress comes from, from all of these, these advertising constructed messages that we get about beauty. And people are, I think it's changing a little bit now, but people at that time when we met didn't realize that it really, it doesn't have to take very much to just, you know, brighten up your eyes and clear your complexion and feel fresh. I mean, there's still products that you told me that day that I use. So oh, that's good. We should go. probably update, but that's good. You know, probably, but still, <laughs> I mean, I use other products too, but still like that just goes to yeah. show, right? Like how yeah. the information goes so far. So I want you to kind of now tell us about your products because that has been another extension of your brand. And I think just a lot of people 
get really lost when they have like this idea for a product and like, how do I do it? And how do I make it come to life? And going back to the top of our conversation, you know, we were, you were saying, oh, I was focusing on the makeup brushes and yes, you were absolutely. That was what we talked about a lot. I think when we first Mm -hmm. met, but I would love for you to kind of go through the process with us of how you started this other part of your business and where it is today and how you've evolved it. Really everything in my business is need-based. And I think that, you know, the really, the really successful brands have that authentic place of um, originating their brand. So it really started with face rollers. It's something I had been using for many years before they got trendy. Um, You know, they originated as part of of traditional Chinese medicine and um, most of them were jade. My husband was at one time the biggest jade um, supplier, supplier of jade jewelry in the country. Okay. So, you know, we had jade all over the house and jade rollers and jade, you know, whatever. I bought this my first was... roller from you. Oh, thank you. I when we were at your house, I bought Oh, it. really? <laughs> yes. Oh, I, think. I think that's before I even had my own. That's how long ago. I bought one but... from you, though. You you told me about the rollers and I yeah. bought my first roller from you. And so did my best friend, Sammy. So oh, that's great. Well, so the rolling really was just because. We had them around the house and I recognized that they're really a quick fix beauty tool. I mean, they fit lazy perfection to a T because in seconds you reduce inflammation, boost circulation, promote um, radiance in the skin, takes it deep puffs under your eyes. And it really like in a matter of seconds without having to plug anything in, you don't need any product on your skin. For me, that low-tech simplicity is kind of the core of everything in my assortment. Um, So those two rollers I have, I was about to show you, but your audience can't see them. I have a large and a mini. Um, But from there, during COVID, things really kind of pivoted. And it became more about self-care. And that's where I moved into gua sha, which is something a lot of people are learning about now. But it also originated in traditional Chinese medicine millennia ago, but they are kind of a full mind, body, spirit beauty tool where you get the energy healing of the stone that you're using, which in my case is rose quartz. You get that lymphatic drainage and reduced inflammation and boosting circulation, but gua sha, unlike rolling, you need to be a little bit more mindful about how you're using the tool. And so I was using it to self-soothe during quarantine. And then I started looking at other ways that I could take care of my own skin while I couldn't get to my dermatologist or my esthetician. So I developed a derma roller to help with product absorption. And um, I started really thinking about sustainability because we were six of us living in my house and we were generating so much trash. I started thinking about sustainability. So I developed reusable bamboo rounds instead of using cotton rounds and um, uh, a reusable sheet mask we launched this year because disposable sheet masks are just piling up. There's some crazy statistic, like 10% of everything in a landfill is a personal care or beauty related product. And she masks are awful. So, you know, I did that. So, you know, 
COVID really informed a lot of my current product uh, assortment. Today's episode is brought to you by Hivecast, an amazing agency providing high-quality podcast production made simple and affordable. I hit the jackpot when I came across Hivecast. As I pieced together services from contractors all over the web initially to help me with my podcast, Hivecast was everything that I needed all in one place. For just $500 per month, they not only produce and edit four episodes, but they also create the marketing assets. Emma, my account manager, is amazing, making sure that I'm on task and that we can schedule episodes regularly and by my deadlines. Honestly, the time saved working with Hivecast is worth at least triple what I'm paying. Their sister company, Fireside, offers other marketing services for small businesses, including social media management, Facebook and Instagram ads, search engine marketing, and so much more. Again, all at a rate palatable by a small business owner. The best part, there's no contract. You can purchase their services as needed on a monthly basis. Use the code FOUNDHER and save 50% off your first month of services. Give them a try. The decision to outsource this part of my business has surely saved me a ton in the long run, and it was the best decision I've made for my business. You're the second person I've talked to today who has found the positive in COVID and in terms of their business. Yeah. And I commend you for that because I know for so many, it was so hard to figure out what to do, how to make a change, how to keep their audience. And you did that and you did it successfully. And now as we're, I mean, we're still in the pandemic, but as we're kind of coming out the other side, hopefully very, very soon, we will <coughs> be more normal-ish. You now have all of these new products and a whole new part of your business. And it's and it's evolving still. I mean, COVID really changed everyone's perspective on the world around them. And um, to your point, you know, now that it looks like we're coming out the other side of it, what does it look like next? And in my business in beauty, it 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 really needs newness. The consumer gets bored. And so what comes next when we take our masks off and we're interacting and people are looking at our faces? You know, oh, what I love my mask that I bought from you. Oh, it thank like, you. It's like the best mask. It's so soft <laughs> and you. breathable and like, it's so great. So and do people stop you everywhere? You yes, go because it's mask. so cute. And for those of you listening, it's a mask that's like, it's like a fair skin color. I mean, Jenny's very fair skinned. It's like a fair skin color and it has lips where your lips are. And it like, it, people love it. It's so cute. It's, you know, it's funny. It was never intended to be skin color. It's just the natural undyed color of bamboo because I don't like to use dyes. I didn't yeah. want to have a dye next yes. to your skin or that you're breathing in, but people think it's supposed to be skin toned. It just happens that it's close to my own skin color. Well, I love it. So it's been, it was one of my favorite masks. So, okay. You've said a couple things that I want to touch upon. You talked about like that your, that your um, products are very need-based and you just mentioned the newness and how your audience really wants, like what's new and the latest. Right. Um, How do you figure out what that is? Like, how do you make that determination? And like, have you brought something to market that like totally flopped? Like, have you had any of those? I mean, I haven't had anything that's totally flopped. Um, there definitely are some tools that I misjudged. They were very important to me, um, but I misjudged how important they would be to the consumer. It's not, nothing has done poorly. 
Um, but there have been one or two that haven't done as well as I expected. Um, in terms of judging what's coming next, it really is how it's my own perspective. It's how I move in the world and what's important to me. And my big focus has been for the past couple of years and will continue to be sustainability. I think the next big conversation that's that's already starting is going to be about packaging and waste in the beauty industry in particular, but also extending to fashion. So kind of on that note, how how do you go about taking a product to market? I mean, there are a lot of people who just don't know how to do that. And you've done it with multiple products and you're in multiple magazines for your products and they have won many beauty awards. So how do you go about doing this? It's challenging. Um, some of it is having the nerve to make cold calls. That's how I started. I picked up the phone and I cold called um, either store founders um, or store buyers. Um, some of it is networking. When I was doing that beauty expert gig, uh, I was meeting a lot of brand founders and I was partnering and collaborating with them as much as I could just to get my name out there. I had a publicist who was laser focused my first couple of years on just establishing me as an expert in the industry. And now I work with a consultant who helps me with my retail placement. And of course, I also have a publicist. And where can you buy your products? Where are they sold now? Uh, we're at about 340 stores now. Um, it's Amazing. really exciting. We just, um, we're just launching in anthropology at the end of this week in 50 of the 140, I think, anthropology doors. Congratulations. We're in, thank you. We're in every single Blue Mercury, um, uh, about 15 Saks Fifth Avenues, a few Bloomingdale's, Neiman Marcus, um, Credo, Cosbar. I mean, we're in a lot of places now. But it's it, very exciting. But, that, but it's amazing. That's so exciting. And you can buy it on your website. Yes. And you can buy it on my website, of course. Yeah. That's where I bought my mask. So thank you. <laughs> we always love web sales. Of course. The web sales are the best sales, right? They are. They are the best sales. You know, you know I'd love for you to also kind of talk about the importance of your Instagram community because you really share there. And like, you share a lot. You're very personable and personal. I mean, you, you share your like treatments when you're going in for treatments. And I, I, I believe that it just draws people in and it makes people want to hear from you, but I want to kind of hear from you. Like how important is that to your business? Do you see a lot of sales converting from that and kind of how that's really amplified during the last 20 months? It does not boost my business. It boosts my, it boosts loyalty among my followers, which ultimately does translate. Um, but for me, it is such a, it is such a, a sticking point that influencers and celebrities don't talk about the beauty treatments that they do. And by not talking about them, it just creates this absolutely unattainable standard of beauty. And particularly as we get older, people look at celebrities and 
think to themselves, my God, that person looks amazing. And I just look like crap in comparison. But for me, by being transparent about the services that I do, I want people to know that like anybody can achieve the level of beauty that they want to, the level of their appearance that makes them happy. Like there's no, it's, it's all achievable. You can do it. You have to pay for it. But I just feel like the celebrities who are in their fifties in particular, and they're not talking about their hormones. Like I want to hear from them. So I talk about it because I think that there is a gap. I mean, I think people, I've gotten a lot of feedback, even from followers in their twenties and thirties saying it's so good to hear about this because I never knew that this was what happens to your hormones as you age. You're so good about sharing. I mean, I just, for me personally, I've always been um, uncomfortable with trying to keep a secret and just, you know, it's just part of my nature to share. Um, But I also just feel like it's my responsibility with my little, you know, 18,000 follower account Um, I do feel a sense of responsibility to be honest with people about the services that I'm doing because everybody looks around and feels terrible when they see somebody on Instagram who they think looks better than they do. And you don't have to feel that way. You can know their secrets. Yes. And I think it's, it's, I think it's important to be transparent about both their secrets. And I've actually had multiple conversations recently with business people about the necessity to be more transparent about like business secrets as women to help each other grow that like, why are we keeping things so close to the vest? Like why, why wouldn't you want to like help each other and like utilize each other? Right. And like, that's the whole point of this podcast is really to kind of get in and like share the secrets. Like, well, I will say that I have found the clean in air quotes, the clean beauty community or the indie beauty community to be really good about sharing information and being collaborative and um, sharing resources and providing connections and contacts much. I've never been in a, um, a big conglomerate beauty space. I've never been in that retail environment. I've never worked in retail where, you know, maybe it's a little bit more cutthroat, but everybody thinks beauty is so dominated by women that it must be terribly cutthroat, but I have not found that to be the case at all. It's been an incredibly inclusive and helpful community. That's awesome. I love hearing that. Mm-hmm. I love hearing because it's so important that we're talking to each other and helping each other and sharing. And I think like, especially as small business owners, we have a mm-hmm. lot to learn from one another. So absolutely we do. And you know, there's enough room for everybody, um, particularly in beauty, um, where, you know, there's how many different types of lipsticks? Thousands. There's room for everyone. So, you know, why are we getting up tight that, you know, somebody has launched a new line? Let's embrace it. Right. There's billions of people on this planet, <coughs> right? Right. So speaking of the billions of people on this planet... How do you find them to buy your products? Like what tools do you utilize other than your Instagram account? Um, I have a publicist and we do not market to the billions of people on the planet. We market to, 
you know, the ones who are in the US, we just started shipping to the UK and Canada. So we're going to start looking at doing some PR in uh, those areas. Um, you know, a lot of it is um, product placement. A lot of it is, you know, the really high level press, Today Show, Good Morning America, those placements are meaningful and they translate. Um a lot of it for me has been word of mouth. I think that a lot of people would consider me to be in that cult brand kind of category where if you know, you know. Um, and then my retail partners have all been really wonderful about being collaborative and sharing on their social media accounts, giving me placements in their emails and on their websites. And, and you, so you like feel that. supported as a small business owner. Definitely. But you have to learn as a small business owner how to navigate those waters. It's not easy to ask for what you want. And it's not easy to even identify what you want. Having a consultant has changed everything for me in that in that regard. So let's talk about that. I Because you've mentioned your publicist and you mentioned the consultant. So talk to me a little bit about the team that helps you find success and who has helped to build you up and, and how that's helped to translate into these media placements and more sales. So I met you through um, my publicist who she primarily does broadcast placements. So that's Your publicist one. is also going to be a guest on Dear Found Her. Oh, she's so wonderful. I know she, she is. Your, your audience is going to love her. She's amazing. We had an amazing interview. Um, I love her. Her. So she's she does she's been the one who's gotten me all of my national broadcast placement, and that, those placements go a long, 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 long way. Um, I have a publicist who handles social media and influencer relations, and then I have a traditional media publicist. I have a consultant who helps with um, my large national accounts, like Neiman Marcus and Blue Mercury. I have a consultant who helps with um, smaller independent accounts. I have a national director of sales and education, and then I have a freelance staff who are in the stores meeting the customers. And we have, I don't even know how many people on that team, maybe nine. Uh, and that team is growing. And then I have my home team. I've got three people on my home team. Tell me how important your team is to you and tell me not just who they are and what they do, but like, what, what are the qualities that you look for when building your team and, and how have they helped you to succeed? Like, what are I the think, type of people? That I you think knowing, knowing my own strengths and weaknesses has helped me select people who can fill those gaps. And that's a really important Thing I think a lot of business owners don't recognize. I don't need people around me who do things the same way that I do. We would never make any progress. Um, so, you know, my, my um, key employee, my number two employee has been with me about seven years. And so she has seen the business really grow and expand and she's our Renaissance man. She does everything. And she has the um, attention to detail that I don't, I am not great on detail. Um, and that's really her area. And then our other people, um, a lot of it is trust. They they are just, you know, they can do things without having to check with me. If I'm traveling with my family or I was out for a couple of weeks in the beginning of September and 
everything went without a hitch. Um, but I would say really the biggest thing is recognizing where you need to plug the holes. And it, I cannot emphasize more what you just said about trusting your employees because you need to be able to do those things like take a vacation with your family and unplug for a minute. And it's really hard for founders and entrepreneurs to find that moment to unplug and just take a yeah. second for themselves. Well, I never really unplug. Right. I know. But, but, you know, one of my, one of my employees started out as our babysitter. Um, when my oldest daughter, who's now 24 was in second grade and she babysat for us for years, she would stay with the kids when we were traveling. So there was already that level of trust with her. And I mean, it's really, I am so grateful for her every single day because she knows everything. Having those people you can count on is priceless. Absolutely. And it's, makes the world of difference. I think a lot of small business owners, uh, and, and I think a lot of women, I don't know, this might be a little bit of a broad brush, but I think a lot of people don't trust their instincts when it comes to their hires and who they hire. Um, my husband would say that he was terrible at hiring people because he didn't trust his instincts and he was looking to fill a position without thinking about how it would support him. He was thinking only about filling the position. And I think like instinctively, you know, if something feels right. And if, if you've got question marks in your head and it's not a good fit, we actually did have one employee that we hired and I knew very quickly that it was not going to work out. And, you know, fortunately COVID took care of, of that situation for me. Um, but I, it was my own fault. I didn't trust my instincts. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I think back to my employees from Bum Club before I before it was acquired and every single person that I hired was someone that came to me that wanted mm-hmm. to work for me mm-hmm. and work with me and believed in our mission. And most of those people were along for the ride, like, you know, five, six, seven, some of them eight years, you know, the mm-hmm. whole until we were some of them after the acquisition, there's still a legacy employee there today. So it's so important to your point to really just kind of have that gut instinct. And I think if someone approaches you and wants to be a part of something you're building, it's, that's like such a great sign that you want them to work for you. But it also speaks to you as an employer, Lindsay, because people don't stick around if they don't feel valued and if they're not compensated accordingly and if they're not, you know, treated with respect and given room to grow their own skill base. I mean, you always hear people say that the best boss is the one who prepares their employees to fly. I would hate if any of my employees flew. You too have had your employees around for a long time. I mean, you just said seven years. Yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. But you know, I I also want to make sure that they're happy. It's not yeah. just about me. It's got to be about them also. A hundred percent. And I mean, as an entrepreneur, like early on, there were times, there were times before my acquisition and early on when I didn't take a paycheck because I needed to pay them. And I and I that was part of being an entrepreneur and part of being of a founder. And of that course. is something that a lot of people don't talk about. 
you know, like a lot yeah. of entrepreneurs do not, do not admit to that and do not talk about that, but it's very normal. And when I say it to people, they're like, Oh my God, you had that. And I, and I'll be like, yeah, I did have that. No, it's very normal. And you're right. People do not talk about that. And they only want to talk about, you know, the success. So, right. but I think it's so important to your point to have that team surrounding you that you believe in and they believe in you because it, it definitely is a two-way street to your point. So, right. Right. So I, I want to be mindful of our time, but um, I want to kind of, I would love for you to share with us maybe your top five tips for someone who is looking to make that change or someone who's just hesitant and wants to start their own company. I mean, you did this and you did it so well, and it seems like it was seamless. It might, there might've been some bumps in the road and I'm sure there were, but you know, you, you really took the opportunities that were presented to you with stride. And I, and I think that's really important to point out. What would you tell someone, what would you tell yourself 10, 15 years ago, 20 years Um, ago? Oh gosh, there's so much. The first thing I would say, I hear from my friends all the time who are, you know, at this around 40, who are looking to make a change that seems to be like the most common age, um, just start. It doesn't matter if if it doesn't wind up being the path that you ultimately take. The analogy I always tell people is you have to walk down the hallway and open a few of the doors. And, you know, maybe some of them will slam on you. Maybe some of them you'll slam, but you have to like look in the doors to see what the opportunities are. So that's the first thing. The second thing is um, taking a risk um, and putting yourself out there in a way that might have felt uncomfortable when you were younger. Um, And that was my experience. By the time I went into business at 40, I definitely didn't have the same insecurities and sensitivities that I did when I was starting out in my first job. Um, you have to know that, um, a no isn't personal and a no isn't forever. And so those are kind of my two key things, just start and take some risks, which that advice. Uh, And then, yeah, yeah. The third thing, the third thing is talk to anybody and everybody you can. Yes. Uh, And that's a hard one for me. I still struggle with that. Um, But just having a conversation with anybody in business, and it doesn't have to be because you need something from them, just have that conversation and you never know what little nuggets you're going to get. I could not agree with every single thing that you said more. I mean, that is why I'm doing this. That is why we are here. You know, part of why I started this podcast was really because I felt like there was just like no blueprint as a founder. And I grabbed onto any bit of information and any time that anyone could give me about their business or any information, it was like, yes. And I was taking everything, you know, and I want to now give that back and pay it forward and give it to <laughs> other founders and entrepreneurs and people who want to make changes and find an independence. And um, so all of that information is, and that guidance is so right on point. So thank you so much. My pleasure. I'm glad that my experience can be helpful. Of course. And so I want to tell everyone to please follow Jenny Patinkin. It's at Jenny Patinkin. I'm going to link it in the show notes. 
um, on Instagram and you can find her at jennypatinkin.com um, where you can find all of her products and so much more, all of her tips and all of her media appearances and everything is there. Um, but Jenny, thank you so much. You are an inspiration. I constantly reference our conversations from years ago and I know I will be constantly referencing this one as well. And I so appreciate your time. So thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much, Lindsay. Jenny has so many amazing sound bites and takeaways, doesn't she? Grab your pen and paper. You're going to want to write these down. Number one, you have to talk about things and be transparent on social media. People don't talk about the treatments they're getting and you have to, or we're going to be creating an unrealistic culture. Number two, Anyone can achieve the level of beauty they want to, the level of beauty that makes them happy. You just might have to pay for it. Number three, market to the people who are actual customers. Word of mouth has been a huge marketing vehicle. Retail partners are also a great place for collaboration and driving awareness. Number four, you have to learn as a small business to navigate the waters of collaboration with bigger entities. It's not always easy to ask for what you want or to even identify what it is that you want. Number five, knowing your own strengths and weaknesses will help you to fill the gaps. You don't need people around you to do the same things that you do. Number six, have the team around you who you believe in and who believes in you. Number seven, if you're looking to make a change, just start. It doesn't matter if the path that you, it doesn't matter if it isn't the path you ultimately take. You have to walk down the hallway and open a few of the doors. You have to look into the doors and see what the opportunities are. Number eight, Take a risk and put yourself out there in a way that maybe felt uncomfortable when you were younger. Number nine, know that a no isn't personal and a no isn't forever. Number 10, talk to anyone and everyone you can. This is hard, but just having a conversation with anyone in business, not just because you need something, have that conversation. You never know what nuggets you're going to get. I cannot thank you enough for being here and for joining us on today's episode of Dear Founder. Make sure you follow at Lindsay Pinchuk and at Dear Found Her on Instagram. And you can also go to lindsaypinchuk.com slash freebie to download some of my tips, tools, and resources. We have some amazing guests coming up. Please make sure you subscribe to Dear Found Her on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever it is that you listen. If you know someone who wants to start their own business like Jenny or who has a business or who has an amazing idea for a business, text them this episode or post it on your Instagram. Tag me and I'll reshare some of those to say thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'll be back soon with another episode of Dear Founder.